This episode of Unconventional Engineering is powered by Twinify, the digital twin solution built to unlock the value of your data. Hello, and welcome back to ASME's podcast, Unconventional Engineering. I'm Tom Costabile, ASME's Executive Director and CEO, along with my co-host, Christine Riley, Managing Director of Strategy and Innovation here at ASME. Hi, Christine. Uh, what have you been up to lately? Hi, Tom. Well, my team and I have been continuing to explore opportunities for ASME in areas like clean energy. So one of the exciting areas we are looking at is small modular reactors, uh, among others. But it's been fascinating for us to delve into these topics for ASME. I would agree, Christine. I, I really appreciate what you and the team have been doing between SMRs, um, our conversation today, which will uh, dip into hydrogen a bit. Mm -hmm. um, it's an exciting time, and I'm glad you guys are doing it. We are too. So Christine, tell us, who do we have in store for our audience today? Hey, so well, Tom, the topic of renewable energy has certainly taken the world by storm, no pun intended. And so in addition to solar, wind, geothermal, SMRs, there's another element that is coming into its own within the context of the conversation surrounding net zero emissions. And that element is hydrogen, as you just mentioned a few seconds ago. So please welcome our guest, Matthew Bleesk, CEO of Lyft H2, who will hopefully shed some more light on this emerging energy source for us. Pleased to be here. Thank you. Great to meet you. So Matthew, I understand that your company is what's known as a hydrogen supply chain integrator. What exactly does that entail? I get that question a lot. <laughs> and the state of hydrogen right now is that, um, you know, there is no grid. So when you look at wind and solar, some of the other um, energy um, industries, when we think about clean tech, um, you know, it was enough challenge just building the solar farm, right? Finding the inverters that work with the panels and figuring out how to work through the codes and standards and then figuring out the business model around uh, uh, a non-dispatchable asset, right? It's not like a peaking plant where you can turn it on and off. So these were all challenges enough. But then at the end of the day, when you figured all that out, there was a grid that you could plug your your system into and then and then bring your product to market through that established grid. Um, that grid does not exist for hydrogen. And so just simply making hydrogen is not enough. And just simply uh, you know, building a refueling system or um, you know, an end use isn't enough. You have to figure out how to uh, move that product, store it, bunker it, trade it, all these other things that, that really make a, an attractive energy product. So there are pieces of that, right, where you have technologies all, all along that chain from production to midstream to downstream, and you have pieces of the, the services here and there. The regulations, codes, and standards are, are there, but not necessarily ubiquitous or, or well understood. And so at the end of the day, the end customer who wants to buy hydrogen, uh, is, it's very challenging for them to do that uh, without an integrator, supply chain integrator, right? They want to buy hydrogen like they're buying diesel today or like they're buying methane or like they're buying their kilowatt hours, right? They want to procure it. So if you don't have a contiguous chain, then that's very difficult to do. And so what Lift H2 does is uh, we have our own products. Uh, we have integrated services. We partner with, with others uh, who have uh, complementary products and we build uh, from the electron to the end user uh, end to end. Uh, so it's all integrated. The interfaces are, are well managed, and and really at the end of the day, the um, the customer gets what they want, right? And that's that's what a 
you know, we think about system integration on the component levels, but really there's another level needed here and that's across the full supply chain. And, and that's really an artifact of a, of a new industry. Um, you know, um, this will become very standard of how this is done uh, eventually, but you know, it's going to take uh, some years to kind of write, write those rules before um, everyone knows how to bake that cake. Matthew, thank you for that. I'm curious, what's the genesis of the name Lyft H2? Yeah, it's a great, a great question. Um, so Lyft is an acronym. It stands for Love, Integrity, Fun, Truth, and Excellence. And so that's the, if you look at the logo, it's a, a you know, that's what you see in the H2 is a, a small part. Um, hydrogen is kind of what we do. It's what keeps the lights on. It's certainly a, our technical passion. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, these are the things that you know, how matters more than what for us. Um, there's lots of uh, examples of, of good intentions producing uh, bad results. And so for us, the path taken is even more important than, than where we end up because we know if we're you know, adhering to these, adhering to these values, it is a values-driven company. Um, then, uh, then in the end, you know, we know we'll get where we need to go. And you know, I think my my personal environmentalism is around. Um, you know, the planet will be fine. The planet will be here. It's the people that matter, right? It's this is this is really about better lives for people, protecting people. Um, you know, in in other worlds as well, right? It's the same planet, and so. Um, our solutions and this could you know get just driving it back home is that our solutions have to work for the everyman right our solutions have to have an impact to to people who can't afford tesla model s's right and um and so things like we we have archetypes that work on you know bus fleets uh transport corridors so you know people living next to these uh you know coming out of port of long beach is just a horrendous particulates uh issue in the air um things like this um really matter for us and and so you see our solutions are, are driven by that and um i think different people come to it from different angles you know for me this was an ex um you know for me it was an expression for my faith in christ and and for other people this is you know it is just kind of like a rallying flag around these values that are just drive already in, in the young part of the company. It's driven very different decision making. And it's actually, I think, the reason why we're around and thriving still in a very challenging uh, industry. Well, thank you. So off, off mic for a second. Christine, why don't you pick up on the next piece? Uh, I think Matthew captured everything. Okay. So Matthew, how exactly does your team get involved, whether from a strategic consulting standpoint or as it pertains to actual product development? Yeah, so we are a solutions company, so we do have products and services. And so what we do is fill the holes. You know, we think of ourselves as the mortar in the bricks, so to speak. So um, what we often get brought in is after, um, so a developer will have um, tried to develop the project, um, realized that this isn't wind and solar, you know, for the reasons we already talked about, or come from the other side, where if you have an oil and gas background and you realize that, um, you know, a standard EPC or, you know, the the um, the standard ways of, of kind of working, yes, hydrogen is a gas, and yes, lots of hydrogen is made uh, behind the fence line, so to speak, in, in big industrial processes, but, you know, we're talking about very different kind of energy systems um, and then that's usually where we're brought in because we have those solutions and those products, but also the 
the products that we don't develop ourselves, we have um, you know uh, deep industry experience with other uh, technology providers that we can bring in and just at the end of the day produce a top level result. Is is the is the so what right? It's the dollars per kilogram. It's the reliability. It's it's um, safety and it's not disrupting operations at the at the top level. And so that's usually where we're brought in. Um, and you know this is a journey. I think the hydrogen industry, uh, you know, the first project is, you know, in a particular archetype, be it either, you know, industrial blending or, you know, a fleet, uh, heavy fleet project, uh, you're not going to be making 15% returns on the very first one, right? It's, it's going to be a roadmap to, to that success. Now, the good news is that there are, you know, innovations and, and, um, efficiencies that have been gained over the past decade where, you can make money off of hydrogen and there's a pathway to get to something that looks a lot like wind, right? If you look at say 20 years ago, wind was and solar were in the same boat. There was a production tax credit and investment tax credit. Um, and now hydrogen has the same thing. So we're, we're at the front end of that journey. Um, and so we have all the elements in place. Um, and, and usually that's, that's where we're brought in to kind of help pull all that together to, to get that project across the line. So Matthew, to that effect, what, what does the hydrogen adoption picture look like in the U S marketplace and, uh, versus Asia and, or, or even Europe. Uh, and I know as we're doing this, you're actually in Europe uh, this week. And tell us a little bit about what you, what you see that, uh, adoption would be. Yeah, what's what's interesting from a technical perspective is that um, I've had a, you know a career with a major oil and gas company working at, in their hydrogen group, and you you saw people learning the same technical issue, learning the same things over and over again uh, across the globe. Um, and so there's a lot to be learned on the technical side of things by sharing. Uh, you know, you don't have to relearn those same mistakes. Um, but exactly which industries? Uh, so so anyway, there's a good case there to be made with with collaborating across nations and I know that you know in Germany uh, there, there's a number of organizations that work with the DOE and same with um, Natural Resources Canada and uh, you know Japan Korea there's a lot of good collaboration there Brazil um, and Chile um, but then the, the business models are, are are different right because the subsidy schemes are what what are natural strengths are different so, for example, in Europe, it's really about energy security and, and security of supply, right? So finding where are you going to go get that hydrogen from? So there's a lot of emphasis on moving vast amounts of hydrogen into Europe and around Europe and kind of solving that, that big, big, hairy problem. Um, in the U.S., it's a little different because of the, you know, there's a lot of cheap energy, a lot of cheap access to energy, and there's more to, to be had, right? More solar to be built, more wind to be built. There's gas fields that we can sequester. And so it's really just more about how to scale that production um, and then build the demand. And, and there's so much existing oil and gas resources that can be repurposed that it's kind of a taking it from a different angle. Um, and in China, you know, they're taking it a, a very different way. I actually had the the opportunity to build a couple of projects in China uh, before um, forming Lift H2. Um, their, their challenge is very acute. It's pollution, right? They they have a real big pollution problem. And so they're, um, it's not so much necessarily about, say, global warming, but it's about now, right? People are dying from, from lung diseases there today. And so um, they have a very accelerated program 
um, to, to get thousands of trucks and, and tens of thousands of cars on the road to uh, leverage wind in the western part of the country. And so it's it's a it's a program on a on a massive scale. Uh, but what's interesting is that all of these um, programs tend to rise the the tide together, right? So if you're if there is a uh, advancements at a program to for pipeline retrofit in Europe that benefits the U.S. because that technology and those suppliers can uh, you know, supply that into multiple regions and and that's our approach as well that our products are global uh, and the services are local. I think that's that's what we see in, in hydrogen in general, right? That um, what we may not see locally, you know, if you if you just kind of walk out your door and look around, you say, well, where is the hydrogen? Well. You know, it can come a lot faster than you think, just simply because of what's going on globally, right? Localizing that that benefit, um, you know, is something also that we focus on, right? Taking, for example, uh, you know, projects in uh, mining around the globe can benefit heavy duty trucking. Why? Because they're similar products, right? right. And so, you don't have to start from square one. I guess is the is what we're saying. There's de decades of learning and experience there, and and just a hyper amount of growth in the past even two or three years on the products and services side that can be leveraged without having to go through that pain. Matthew, uh, one popular topic at ASME is that of the engineer's lifelong journey. What has your career arc been like? Uh, unpredictable. <laughs> uh, I, I actually started life as, uh, you know, an, as an aviator, uh, transitioned into engineering. Um, I was an aerospace engineer uh, working in uh, in in the aerospace uh, industry, and uh, and then just really kind of for me personally, I I saw aerospace as, as kind of at the tail end of the S curve of innovation. It was uh, had its you know heyday in the middle of the last century, and 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 you know moved into uh, the the legendary aircraft like the SR seventy one and the space shuttle and and all of these kind of uh, you know things that. The, some of us had posters of when they were when they were little on the wall, and maybe still do. Um, and and for me, I thought, you know, I I didn't I didn't want to um, I wanted to be in uncharted territories. And so, the energy systems of even the present, right? I, and and you know, I, I spent a, a while in oil and gas as well. There is a there is a I think we do have to. Uh, appreciate the fact that um, the reliability and safety that we have from our current energy infrastructure does need to be appreciated and applauded. And there's a lot of really interesting problems to solve there. And that's that's what really kind of turned turn my crank around um, different, you know, really gas turbine systems and tri-generation systems and, you know, storage systems and, and uh, energy, energy uh, storage systems and things like that. And, and and that's been my journey of, of it didn't start in in alternative energies it started in more conventional energies because there were really interesting uncharted problems to solve but then it was obvious that this is the frontier this is the thing that no one knows exactly how this is going to end up um and so that's always i think the common theme for me of what's driven me and um and and really a move of, of, for me personally away from um the deep discipline engineering and more into um, systems of systems engineering, so solving systems problems on 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 individual components or pieces is where I kind of got into, and then now we're solving the system of systems problems 
because our systems are so complicated that there's the detailed design, then there's the system design, and then now there's the system of systems design, which is really what Lift H2 focuses on. And as we get more and more complicated systems, it just the layers just keep going and going. And so I find it really exciting. Um, it's tough to communicate that complexity. And so it's, uh, communication and a collaboration is a skill that is going to be more and more important for engineers because just simply the days of sitting down and designing something and saying, here it is, are gone because that thing doesn't pr produce the value that you think it will in isolation, right? So you have to be able to integrate it, not just with the thing upstream and downstream of it, but also up and, and up and down, right? The up, the, the higher level context and the lower level level context to produce value because we're, we're moving into um, you know, brave new world of, of complexity and, and you see it all across the world, like, you know, chat GPT introducing another level of complexity in, 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 uh, in computing, um, and energy is no different. So Matthew, you mentioned communication. Is there any other advice you have for engineering students, early career engineers, or even those who have been in the field for some time? Uh, I, I do for, uh, certainly for early career engineers and and, and maybe uh holds true for later as well and and i i always say do something um i, I actually had a, a a kid while i was uh working at my last company come in and um i think he was angling for a job and uh he he was clearly uh you know the the uh graduating from a very prestigious engineering school and I think he was pretty proud of himself, of his marks and whatnot. And, and, it's, and he said, well, what would what advice would you give? And I said, well, you should go and do a job that scares you. Um, and what I mean by that is at the end of the day, end of the day is engine, what does it mean to be an engineer, right? It means that you are designing systems for the public good. And often, mo most often, uh, those systems have uh, public safety you know, to be thinking of um, security, you know, reliability, right? Power goes out, um, people can freeze, um, you know, or you're designing a car, right? Obviously safety is a big, big thing there. Um, you know, I, I remember one of the first jobs I had was designing repairs for an A320 fleet in, in Air Canada, right? And that was, <laughs> that was a bit um, scary, right? Designing repairs that, that need to fly. Um, and, and the reason why I mentioned that is, is you know be it either if you're a software engineer you know environmental engineer whatever it is right do something that's you know to say it a different way do something that's impactful and meaningful because something that's impactful and meaningful is always have risk associated with it it has either you know financial risk or public safety risk or reputational risk right and i would say go do that young because if it's harder and harder to uh, gain that experience when you're older because the stakes get higher and higher. And so when you're young, you kind of have this, you get to train under someone else, you know, it's not your fault, you know, that kind of thing. And so go do that stuff. Um, get out in the field, go touch systems, go write code that, you know, moves real things. Um, because that that has made all the difference for me, right? It's, you know, sticking your head inside of a gas turbine in Mozambique or repairing, you know, and getting called at three in the morning to go repair some uh, guy who put a forklift through the side of a cargo plane, you know, things like this, right? It's just, th these are, it's fun. It's, yeah, it, it's, it's, it, some would say it's, you know, uh, it can be stressful, but I mean, that's, 
I think from an engineering perspective, that's what we sign up for, I think, right? It's to make real things work. So don't shy away from that because that's, uh, you know, that that's kind of the, I think what separates engineers from some of the other um, professions out there. I, I love your analogy of forklift through an airplane. So, you know, that's why they invented duct tape, right? <clears throat> that That is not an analogy. That is something that really happened. So we, <laughs> we actually, in the industry, we call it a 900 mile an hour tape. Yeah, so it's uh, it's a aluminized tape that you can put over certain sized holes that lasts that uh, flies. So you know it's tape that's good for nine hundred miles an hour. Well, Matthew, uh, Christine, I, I'm afraid that we're out of time, but I want to thank you uh, and want to thank everybody for listening to this. Uh, I'm intrigued, uh, Matthew, and uh, I wish you and and Lift H2 the best of luck. We should stay in touch and uh, do this again in the near future as you completely evolve. I was interested to hear you say that from a technology standpoint, it's not a challenge. You know, being an engineer, I learned a long time ago, if it's too simple, we stop, do it over again, we make it harder just because we can. And then you're you're spot on. A lot of what I've been seeing and a lot of colleagues I've been speaking with, it's all about negotiations and, and how do you get people to the collaboration table? Um, I tip my hat to you, sir. I think you've got a, a winning combination here. Well, Matthew, uh, thank you again. Christine, thank you again. And again, as always, I would encourage anyone out there that would uh, like to suggest a topic or a guest or just to say hello, be sure to reach out to our unconventional engineering production team or email us directly at media at asme.org. And if you're interested in becoming an ASME member, log on to asme.org or consider donating to the ASME Foundation at asmefoundation.org. Matthew, thank you. Christine, thank you. Enjoy the rest of your day. Take care, everyone.